0: Beautiful Gardens Podcast, where we talk about how your edible garden can also be your beautiful landscape. I'm your host, Nanette Blair. Thanks for joining me. This week, we're going to do a little mini-series about all the different garden methodologies. We're going to do kind of a comparison shopping thing. I'm going to do some of the reviews on the ones that I know about, and we're going to see how they overlap. And we're going to also examine how you look at a garden methodology and try to decide for yourself which one is right for you. So, as you know by now that my dream is to make good food accessible to everybody. And in my opinion, the best definition of good food is nutritious, delicious, and safe. And it doesn't get any better than picking fresh fruit, herbs, and veggies straight off the plant where you know what went into it from start to finish. Also, you won't find any tomato cages here. As a matter of fact, there's a lot you won't find here, including pesticides, herbicides, fungicides, or any of the other sides. But what you will find here are landscapes that are designed for beauty, reflection, fun, entertaining, and the list goes on to whatever you want. Because after all, it's your home, your yard, your taste. Okay, you know that garden you've been thinking about? Oh, I know you're ready. I know I'm ready. So let's dig in. Hey, everybody. I just wanted to take this opportunity to talk about all of the different gardening methods that are out there. There's so many people that have an opinion. There's so many people that, I mean, you can't hardly throw a rock and not hit someone that doesn't have three different opinions about gardening. (laughs) I don't really believe that there is an end-all, be-all Um, I have always said that I could live many, many lifetimes and never know everything there is to know about gardening. But I'm going to tell you about all of the ones that I know. In my opinion, the good ones overlap. You know, there's no reason why you have to strictly adhere to just one gardening methodology or one gardening strategy. As a matter of fact, for your house, your yard, your garden... You may have a totally separate situation than anybody else does. Even your neighbor next door. Even your neighbor across the street. (laughs) One of the things that I have learned is that critical thinking is so important. So if you can learn, and this is something that I, I actually thought of, oh, it's probably been almost a decade ago, is like, how do you learn how to think for yourself. Well, if you think about that, that's really kind of an oxymoron. How do you learn how do you teach someone to think for themselves? Well you may say I'm an adult, I know how to think for myself but when it comes to our society today, we want everything put in a pretty little package with a bow tied around it. It, it really is easier for people to have whether it's a diet, whether it's, you know, how to arrange your house, like how to, organize, how to organize your house. We want to adopt a method. And from what I'm learning or what I've learned, what I understand, I'm really learning how to think for myself. And, you know, for myself. But that really kind of hurts to admit because I, and, and this does have to do with gardening, I promise, but it, it does carry over into the rest of my life. To learn to observe, that is the very first key. I see all these people wanting to do raised bed gardening. Uh, You know, I've decided I'm going to grow food, so I need to build a raised bed, right? I mean, that's what everybody's doing. That's kind of the, the fashionable thing to do now. And in some cases, it is a good thing. It is the best thing, but in a lot of cases, it's really not. So it just really kind of depends on your situation. The best of these gardening methodologies that don't use chemicals that are doing it in a way that's sustainable, uh, they overlap, which is awesome. That's great news. So, I'm going to talk about all of these different gardening methodologies. I'm going to start with permaculture. We're going to cover Back to Eden. We're going to cover container gardening and raised beds. We're going to cover companion planting. And we're going to cover the soil food web, and everything in between that I know of. Like I said, there's probably something new out there. I've never heard of it. may be the best thing in the world. I just don't know about it yet. And if I leave something out, let me know. Hit me up on Facebook and let me know, hey, I just heard about this. What do you think? I love to look into anything that's new like that because you never know. You never know. You can learn so much from... Um, the little old lady down the road, who may be a hundred years old, she may know a lot about gardening in your area. It might be different for your specific situation, but you can pick up all these little tidbits and pearls of wisdom from the strangest of places. It might be your toddler grandson that or granddaughter that makes you think, oh you know, you're seeing it from someone else's eyes. And there's a saying that I just love, and I don't remember his name, but he is the man that discovered vitamin C. And the saying goes something like, discovery is seeing what everyone else has seen, but looking at it in a way that nobody else has ever looked at it before. And so, you know, they say there's nothing new under the sun. Well. That's true. A lot of this gardening or a lot of these gardening methodologies are really, they just overlap. I mean, they're, it, it's like they take it, they put that pretty little bow on it and they say, okay, we're going to call it this. We think we're different enough to call it this. And it's kind of what I did with Ediful Gardens. Ediful um, being a word smash, it's uh, edible and beautiful. So, and I had to do that because uh, Foodscapes wasn't really, I I found this really cool lady, and I will talk about her too, uh, this young woman who's doing what she calls the Foodscape Revolution. Everything she's doing is really, really cool, but when yet when I look it up on Google, I see all these really cool, something that's not edible landscaping. It's uh, where they take broccoli and bread and Carrots and things like that, and they make art out of it. Like, they arrange it on a table, and they take a photograph of it. It looks like a little city, or it looks like um, a mountain or, or whatever. So, I didn't want that to be confused with what I'm doing. And it's edible landscaping that is also meant to be beautiful. So, that's kind of where I came up with that name. And so, I thought, well, I do want to stand out. I want to be... There's things and holes within all of these different garden methodologies that I was like, well, that's not quite me. That's not quite me. That's not quite me. And and this is the other thing that I say. If I have seen far, it's because I have stood on the shoulders of giants. And that is just so true. There's no way that I could in my lifetime learn everything that Bill Molson and Jeff Lawton have learned from, everything that they've done in permaculture, which is just completely awesome. And it's the same with all of these people, Sally Jean Cunningham, Paul Gauchy, uh, Brie Arthur, uh, Rosalind Creasy, and my goodness, that's just the current people. So we're going to start with permaculture. And what I have done is pulled up a side analysis that I've done. I've done several, but it's pretty much a template that has all the same information in it. This is basically to learn to grow where you're planted. These are the things that I'm just going to kind of skim through this and tell you what I got from that. And towards the end of the week, I'm going to talk about, summarize how it all ties back in together with all these different gardening methodologies and strategies. You may hear my mouse click here and there. So we will look at things like scale of permanence. You have to grow where you're planted, right? I mean, that just makes sense. You really can't change. If you're in Minnesota, you can't just say, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to grow things that are tropical. <laughs> if you live in Hawaii, you it would have a hard time saying, I'm going to grow plants that do really, really well in the northern um, cold climates. I mean, you know, that just makes sense, right? That's just basic human understanding. But we go into a lot of detail about what types of soil we have, what um, watershed address we're in, what kind of slope we have, what USDA zone are we in, uh, where are the property lines, where does the water run on the property, where does the water run off the property. Uh, We look at things like the, the climate data, For our area, we'll look at things like what's the by month, what's the average temperature, highs and lows, what's the average rainfall. And then we look at things like how to calculate how many gallons a year that we can harvest off of the roofs or off of the hard surfaces that we have on our property. And so I'm looking at mine, and we have actually several buildings on our property. We have a barn, and we have what I call the cabana. We have a bunkhouse. We have a greenhouse, and even though it's plastic and it's in the shape of a dome, it still is capturing a lot of water and putting it down in a specific place. But I have calculated for, for our property that we would be able to harvest, if we installed water harvesting systems, which they go into a lot of detail about doing that, 122.5 thousand gallons a year that we could harvest for watering our gardens or whatever we wanted to do with it. And then I have it actually broken down by month because it's kind of silly to expect that you would have a 122,000 gallon tank I mean, you don't have to do that because you're going to be using it as you go. So it's broken down by month and by building. So I have that all broken down by building. And then we go into, uh, like I said, the climate data. We look at what are the first frost dates? What are the last frost dates? Which those types of things are also covered in the Master Gardeners Program. It's very, very easy to, for you to find on your own. As a matter of fact, I have a link to that in my website at edifulgardens.com. But there's a link in there where you can click on it and it'll tell you what your average first and last frost dates are. Um, What are your chill hours? And then I have a map there also. That's something really important if you're going to grow fruit trees. You need to select the right variety because, you know, you can grow apples. I don't have the kind of climate where apples are normally grown. They're grown up in the north, right? So... But there are varieties that I can buy. I grow certain types of apples because, or certain types of cherries because they work within the parameters of the chill hours that I have where I'm growing. And then the other thing that we look at is doing a sector analysis. Things like where is all the traffic coming from? Where is something that maybe is an unsightly view? Do we want to put, you know, plant something there to cover that up, I know I was just talking to my daughter recently on a smaller scale. She just has some kind of public utility uh, thing in her backyard and she just doesn't want to look at it. We were talking about what she could plant there that wouldn't impede on their rights to have access to it, but that she doesn't have to look at it. We look at what are the winter sun paths? What are the summer sun paths? Uh, where do we need to build uh build around so that we have an outward view. So if we have, and this is what I call borrowed space, but say your property butts up against a green space, Uh, your backyard, you're lucky enough, you don't have another neighbor on the other side of you, but you have something really pretty to look at, like a big meadow or a forest or Said so maybe they have buffalo. My brother had a situation like that. He went to the University of Colorado and here in Texas, the neighbors that he had were, had some buffalo, which was pretty cool because that was their mascot. But if you, you probably don't want to impede your view of something like that. So that would go under sector analysis. There may be other things that you want to look at in that regard, like, is there a A situation with a septic tank draining, um, you know, just different things like that. And then we look at zones. Zones are really cool. So zones is something, it's, it's a permaculture thing. As far as I know, this was kind of developed within the world of permaculture, and it's been around for a very long time. But zone, if you just kind of imagine you drop a pebble in a pond, and it kind of ripples out. In the center of that is where you live constantly every day. Well, that would be zone zero. So that's a constant place where you habitate. So, or you are, co- you are <laughs> inhabiting? Yeah, okay. So that would be something that uh, you're going to be there constantly. You're going to be there at least every day. Zone one would be probably more out south, outside the house, And it would be once a day. So you think about it. You drive in your driveway. You go to your mailbox. Maybe you walk down a certain path or sidewalk. And these are the places that you're going to be on a pretty much a daily basis. Unless you're sick or on vacation or something, I guess. Zone two is someplace you're going to be probably two or three times a week. Zone three would be three to four times a month. Zone Four is seasonal, so you only go out there every so often, and then zone five would be rarely. Now, for us, we have three acres, so we do have an area that I consider the wildlife zone, and I want to keep that because that's a buffer between me and, or us, and neighbors. I'm kind of a private person, especially when I'm at home. I don't like people looking at me. (laughs) I'm one of those people. So I like to create privacy wherever I can. But that's something that we looked at. That is called zones of use in permaculture. So we learned about things like establishment guilds and how you work within, and this is again going back to that episode two where I talk about the one thing that makes all the difference in the garden. And basically, I'm talking about ecological succession. If you haven't heard that one, go back and listen to episode two, because this explains it in great detail. I I thought that that subject or that topic deserved a show all of its own, because I know that I'm going to go back and refer to that over and over again, because we don't use that just in permaculture. That definitely overlaps with a lot of the other ones. I mean, how could it not? It's nature, right? But we talk about establishment guild and how we kind of help Mother Nature along. I think of that parquet commercial when I was a little girl, or maybe I was a teenager, I don't know, and she would say, it's not nice to fool Mother Nature. Well, that's kind of what we're doing. We're tricking her into believing that she's further along in the healing process than she really is. And again, if you don't understand what I'm talking about, go back and listen to episode two. Because that one is the one. The one thing that makes all the difference. We talked about dynamic accumulators, nitrogen fixers, and I'm going to do a whole series on this. It's probably going to be next week. Fumigants that repel pests uh, and confuse pests. The insectiary plants that attract pollinators and beneficial insects where you build all these layers, plant things together that are going to react in a symbiotic way. And we're going to do that so that we have the longevity and we don't have the pressure from the outside forces. We're creating a closed loop system that can sustain itself on its own. And really, all we need to do is just go harvest the food. So, there's a lot more to permaculture. If you're not doing anything large, large scale, which they do cover that. If you're living off-grid, they do cover that. There's a lot that they cover that I just, frankly, I just don't use on a regular, everyday basis. Not that I am conscious of, anyway. They talk about things like function stacking, which I do do that, but I don't put that really in a side analysis. Function stacking, if you're not familiar with what that is, it would be having two uses for one thing or having something in in an area makes it make sense. So going back to the whole critical thinking part of it, it's just thinking, it, it's doing so, a lot of observing. And that is the one huge thing that I got from permaculture. That was worth the thousand dollars or, you know, whatever it was I spent on the course is to learn how to observe, implement my own strategies, see what happens, observe again and adjust. Observe again and adjust. Do something, observe again and adjust. And, you know, that makes me think of one more thing that that they are really big on, and that is to do things in a small way but have a lot of redundancy. And they give a lot of examples. Um, they, they do things in a way that instead of building one big thing, why don't we have a lot of several little things? We have some redundancy built into the system. And the reason, and this is so smart, is, The reason is, if you have a failure, you have one small failure. You don't have one humongous failure. And, you know, to me, that just makes sense. So, I think about that whenever I do my plantings or my hardscapes or anything that I'm doing in the garden. I have some wild plum trees out in the woods in the back, but there's not a lot. It's not like I have a big orchard full of them. So, I'm probably going to collect some of that seed and, or at the very least, try to find some trees and plant in another location because I like those. A lot of people ask me for wild plum jelly, and I have discovered that wild plum jelly truly is better than a regular plum jelly. Let's see, when I buy a flat of strawberries, I plant them everywhere instead of in one patch because I wanna see where they're gonna be happy. And I guess that kind of brings me to another garden methodology And I really wouldn't say it's for gardeners, but it's restoration agriculture. And Mark Shepard, I've looked at a lot of his YouTube videos or people that have done YouTube videos on his. I've bought his book. And from what I understand is that it's a much bigger scale methodology. So he is an organic grower. He really talks about things that are on a larger scale. And for me, I can scale some of those things down, but I believe everything that he's talking about is really covered under the umbrella of permaculture. And he even says that. He says that, you know, it started off for him with permaculture, and then he kind of took it to another level, but on a larger scale. So if you've heard of restoration agriculture, I encourage you to buy his book, and watch his YouTube videos and see if I'm missing something. Let me know. Tell me on Facebook uh, at Ediful Gardens or send me an email, Nanette at Ediful Gardens, N-A-N-N-E-T-T-E. Uh, I'd like to know. I really would like to know. There is one more thing. <laughs> Actually, two more things. So the thing that I think is very important to know about permaculture is it's very ethics-based. And it's taking care of the earth, taking care of people, taking care of the land. And, but they have a whole code of ethics. And I think that's one of the things that really kind of makes permaculture stand out above the crowd with, amongst everybody else when it comes to the genre of gardening or within the gardening space. And it, the other part of that is I, I've seen a lot of, um, political stuff going on there. And permaculture is like anything else. You know, like you would have in your church or like you would have in your family, you have people with varying degrees of opinions when it comes to, you know, economics in the world and global climate and climate change and um, liberal and conservative But the whole thing uh, about permaculture is that it is a very tight-knit community like a family. And you kind of have the crazy uncle over here. (laughs) And you have the crazy aunt over there. As a matter of fact, whenever I was going to go off to Bali, some friends of mine came to talk to me because they were concerned because of some videos that they had seen on um, YouTube or something. And I had never seen those videos, didn't know what they were talking about. I was just there for the science of how nature works that they found and following the patterns based on science but I'll always love them for that. I love you guys. So that was one of the, the other big things about permaculture. There was a lot that had to do with disaster preparedness. I know I'm not talking about the, zomb- the zombie apocalypse. Acop- <laughs> no, I am not talking about the zombie apocalypse. Wow, that was hard for me to say. Um, although I don't think anybody's ruled that out. <laughs> but things like tornadoes, fire... You know, how to mitigate uh, hurricanes, how to mitigate your losses when it comes to what normally happens in your area. You know, if I live in Texas, so tornadoes is a big thing for us. Um, If you live in California, it might be fires. If you live in uh, North Carolina, it might be hurricanes. They talk about things like maybe not having a total crop loss by planting things like tubers, like potatoes or root crops, like, you know, things that you wouldn't lose everything if you had some sort of a disaster like that. Yeah, that was a pretty cool part of the permaculture process, too, is just kind of thinking about what would you do if. So, anyway... Yeah, I don't think anybody's ruled out the zombie apocalypse yet. Hey, I said that right. (laughs) All right, we'll see you tomorrow when we're going to be talking about Back to Eden gardening and how they overlap. And I think that's a good place to wrap it up today. And as we do wrap it today's show, I want you to know this podcast is dedicated to you if you're looking or searching for a better source of food for yourself and the ones you love. I'm inviting you to come along with me on this journey and if you don't want to miss any future episodes then hit that subscribe button and let's figure out together how we can put delicious nutritious and safe food back on the table again. And remember your edible garden can also be your beautiful landscape. Until next time have a great week everybody. Bye for now.